Hey, what's up? My name is Dusty Otis. I am the lead pastor here at The Grove in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for taking part of your day to be a part of this church, to engage in this message, and for supporting our ministry. It means more than you know. None of what we get to do happens without you. I pray that today's message speaks to your heart. I hope that it helps you move forward in your relationship with God, and I hope that you become just a little bit better in following Jesus because you took the time to listen today. Enjoy the message. Robert Emmett, I uh, was the pastor here, retired and handed, the, handed it off to Dusty Otis on January the 1st, but I'm still the teaching pastor, which means when he finishes a series, you'll normally get me for one or two or maybe three weeks. So this week is on how to have a happier marriage. How many of you are married right now? Raise your hand. How many of you were married? Raise your hand. How many of you ever think you'll get married again? Raise your hand. And how many of you think you'll ever be in a meaningful relationship with another human being? Again, raise your hand. Okay. So the information I got you is going to work. Let me give you a little bit of background. If I'm a left-handed Aggie from Texas A&M. I know you got CSU. Yeah, but when you say Aggie around here, you get your Aggie friends from Texas. You always know who your friends are, but they got Aggies up here too. But went to A&M, graduated from there, had no desire to be a pastor or preacher or speaker. I hated speech class. Uh, my three-minute speeches were over in about 90 seconds and I got D's and C's on them. First time I ever pa- preached on a, at a church, my 20 minute message was over in about seven minutes. I was read the whole time and I said, I don't ever want to do that again for the rest of my life. Uh, 45 years later, uh, the Lord smiled and said, nope, that's your place in this world. So that's what I've been doing. Saved, uh, became a Christian at 11, didn't pay much attention until I was 15. I didn't start living it until I was 19. I was in college and I already was able to mess up my life pretty good by 19. Uh, how many of you messed your life up by 19? Raise your hands. There, my friends. Yay. I got my peeps here today. You know, it was one of those, I was alone in my dorm room and uh, I just having one of those come to Jesus moments. And I was looking to blame all of my dumb mistakes and problems on somebody. But doggone it, there wasn't anybody else in my life that I could really say, well, it's because of them or them or them. And uh, I told the Lord, I said, man, something's got to change. I mean, I'm spiraling. Things are not good. And I had packed my Bible when I went off to college because every good boy packs his Bible in front of his mother so she knows he's taking his Bible to college. Hadn't read it. And that night there was sitting on my desk and I said, Lord, I'm going to read your word. And if I can understand it, I will try to live it. And so I found a little short book in the New Testament called the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, one of his little brothers on earth. Jesus was the son of God, but he had four little brothers and at least uh, two other sisters that were younger than him. And James was really short and to the point, and I read it in like 15 minutes. I thought, man, this makes a lot of sense. And, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord say, hey, remember the deal. If you understand it, you're going to try to live it. And I said, well, yeah, I guess, guess I am. So that night, no sermon, no music, no invitation, no nothing. But I said, well, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to read your New Testament. I'm going to try to do what it says. And I've been doing that for 45, 46 years. And, uh, you know, not perfect by any means. Anybody that knows me knows that. But that began my life as uh, living my Christian faith. I started pastoring when I was 20. 
And then I met the love of my life when I was 21. Uh, Julie came into my life. We met. And this message is on marriage, so I figure I better tell you about that. Uh, we met, and uh, it was a casual meeting. Uh, we said hello, and that was about it. I wrote her a couple of letters. She was gone all summer. We became friends in August. We got engaged. We started dating in September. We got engaged in December and married the next June. So we knew each other all of 10 months. My life background, yeah, you can clap, uh, 43 years coming up in June, so uh, came from a good family. My family was stable, you know, still was and is, and you had our issues and things, but it was a stable home. Julie's was the uh, total opposite. She came from some serious dysfunction in the... Serious dysfunction in the first uh, 10. First 10 years of her life were, were not good, and uh, you would not wish them on anybody. And I didn't know all of this until uh, we got more open and honest with each other after we got married. But anyway, the first 10 years of her life were not easy at all for her. And she saw and experienced things that most people would, should never have to experience in their lives, but she did. She, she became a Christian, and somewhere along the journey, thanks to a wonderful boyfriend she had in high school who was a strong Christian who thought he'd be marrying her. <laughs> I got her, Jed, not you. <laughs> but anyway, he was a godsend to her, and she came to A&M, and I, you know, we met and we were friends and I'd never dated a, she was a Baptist girl and, you know, was really a really good girl. And I had not, well, better watch what I say there. Got other girls are maybe watching. What do you mean you didn't date good girls? I've dated nice girls, but I'd never dated one like her. We were friends for like a month. And finally she said, how can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, are you ever going to kiss me? I said, well, yeah, I'll be happy to if you want me. Well, she, she said, yeah, we've been going out for a month. And I said, well, I've never dated a girl like you. I didn't want to scare you off or run you away or something. You know, you never know. You kiss a good Christian girl and she runs away. So, uh, so that began a wonderful relationship right there. So, but uh, we got married pretty quick and um, I was 22. She was 21. And I'm going to give you the sum total of all of our pre-marriage counseling right now. That's it. That's all the advice we got. But we did have one thing in common, and that was Jesus. And we both agreed that I would treat her uh, as a husband the way the New Testament tells me to treat my wife. And she said, I will treat you the way the New Testament tells me to treat my husband. And so we have been following that for years. And I, I, when I marry people now, I say, oh, you got to get pre-marriage counseling. Did you? No. But do as I say, not as I did. You know, there's a lot of things you'll learn the easy way or the hard way. So learn from me. But so that began our journey. I was 22, 21. We kind of grew up together. We had kids and grew up with them. Uh, I'm 65. She's 64. So we've been married 43 years. No screaming, no yelling, no slam doors, no dysfunction. Uh, no oops, shouldn't have said or done that. Nobody's left and gone home to mother. Nobody's threatened. Nobody's talked about divorce or separation. But we have had lots of stuff in our 43 years. But I can tell you at 43, we are as happily married now as we have ever been in our lives. And it is more fun after 43 years than it was even those first, uh, you know, early years before kids came along. Kids ruined everything. But uh, <laughs> before that, I mean, it was a blast when the kids came along. Oh, no, now we got to do the grown-up stuff. But uh, 
So anyway, I've preached this, I've taught it, I've written a book on marriage, and the first time I wrote it, it was called How to Have a Happier Marriage, and there were cartoons in it and stuff, because I, I like looking at pictures more than reading, so I, I called the cartoonist, and he put some good ones in there. Second time I republished it, uh, there was more to it, better material, but it didn't sell nearly as well, and uh, it was really challenging. And my uh, my thesis of the book was of God's marvelous creation. The, what do you think is the most monogamous creatures on earth? Just right now, open question. And Daniel, you don't get to answer because you're in the business. But what 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 animal do you think is the most monogamous? Won't cheat on each other, stays together for life. If anybody fools around, they get pecked to death. Oh, you knew it. You know that. You still you're that kid in class that always knew the answer and had to spell it. Yep, the answer is, I mean, of all the animals, fish, birds, everything, the most monogamous creatures on earth are the black vultures. If you ever see black vultures, they're almost always in pairs, and they mate for life. They don't fool around. If any of them starts fooling around with another vulture, the whole family will peck that vulture into submission or death. So it's serious. When they get married, they're married for life. So I thought that'd be cool. In marriage book, why not just put the most monogamous creatures on there? So this is what my second edition looked like. Not that. There it is. There it is. Now, who wouldn't want to buy a book like that on marriage? You know, and this is great. You know, I preach the series. And then my son, my oldest son, Chris, one day he says, hey, Pops, uh, how's your book doing? I said, it's just not moving like the other one did. He said, well, you think it might be the cover? I said, well, no, the buzzards are cool. He said, sarcasm doesn't work well in publications, you know. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, people get married, you know, they're young and they're in love and they got all these ideas. And he said, nobody really thinks about buying a marriage book with a couple of old buzzards on the front. So if I ever do a third publication, uh, I'll put the other picture up. Put that other picture up, Ryan, to show you what Julie and I looked like 20 years ago. Whoa, Whoa there's a happy couple right there. <laughs> so I'm going to give you what I give people have given them for 40 years, 40 five years, the how do you have a happy marriage? I'm going to give you three of them today, four of them next week. So if you're ready for it, say we're ready. Now, these things are guaranteed. When I preached them at the beginning, I thought, does this stuff really work? And now I know after 43 years, absolutely they work. If you work them, they are so simple. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Ephesians 4, 29, Ephesians 4, 29. And remember what I said, the, the secret of Christianity is trust Jesus, read the New Testament, and do what it says. Repeat after me, trust Jesus, read the New Testament, and do what it says. Now, I'm living proof that it works. If I can screw my life up at 19 and turn around simply by saying, well, this is good stuff, then if it'll work for me, then I promise you it'll work for you. If it's already working for you, say it is. All right, good. Ephesians 4.29. First thing is communication, talking to each other. Look at verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to who? Those who hear them. Let me repeat that. Don't use foul or abusive language. You can fill that in with whatever you want, but you understand what that means. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I really got irritated when Paul wrote this. <laughs> Because he says, let everything you say be good and helpful. I thought, man, you're setting the bar to an impossible limit. Let everything that you say be good and helpful. And he says, yes, because God knows if he gives us an inch, we'll take a mile. 
If he says, let most of the things you say be good and helpful, then we go, okay, well, there's room for this. So God says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that it will be an encouragement to those who hear it. Of the seven things that I'm going to give you in the next two weeks, the absolute number one, thousand miles ahead of the others that makes a difference is communication. Let me hear you say communication. Communication Communication is sending and receiving. It's not just you doing all the talking or you doing all the listening. It is a give and take. And I'll show you that in a second. But of the rules that I give, talk 30 minutes a day. Repeat after me. Talk 30 minutes a day. Every day for the rest of your married life. You say, that's impossible. No, it's not. It's really easy. When you were dating and engaged and newly married, you talk 30 minutes a day. You text, you talk, you communicate, you FaceTime if you're overseas and that sort of thing. But communication is key. If you do not keep communication working, the other six things go out the window. If you keep the communication working, it will work through the other six things that I'm going to give you. Communication is key. You say, well, I grew up, my parents were abusive, they were violent, they yelled, they screamed and all of that. Okay. I always tell people, look, if your parents did it wrong, learn from their mistakes. If your parents did it right, learn from their example. But it's your life. You make the decision. You decide this day, am I going to start talking and communicating to my spouse 30 minutes a day? It's not that complicated. When we were newlyweds, it was easy. When the kids started coming along, it got more complicated. When they started school and practice and all the other things, we used to get up early, like 30 minutes early. For Julie and I, this is our schedule. We wake up. Whoever wakes up first brings the first cup of coffee to the other one, and we have coffee in bed. And then for the second cup, the one who didn't get it goes down and brings the second one. Uh, we bring, we've had coffee in bed together almost every day, our entire married life together. I didn't know that was something special or not. I saw my dad bring my mother coffee. I, he never said, do this when you get married. I just saw, wow, this is kind of the way you go. You, you treat people right. And I heard them talk. I got in trouble in a psychology class in college. The guy was talking on marriage, and he said, every married couple fights. And he left it out there, and everybody starts laughing. And he says this, just inevitable human beings fight. They argue. And if you're in a marriage and you fight, it's just part of it. And I raised my hand. I said, uh, my parents never fought. He said, so they did. They just did it behind closed doors. I said, no, no, they never yelled behind closed doors. I said, my mom, you know, they were in their 30s when they got married. But I said, I never heard them raise their voices at each other. They always just talked everything through. They had disagreements and they worked it out. But I said, I never heard yelling or screaming or door slamming in the house I grew up in. Uh, Julie on the opposite did. And so I said, well, you know, I kind of like the peaceful house rather than the violent house. So let's go peaceful. But he said, that's not normal. I said, well, maybe not, but that's what I grew up with. I'm telling you, you do not have to yell and fight and scream and threaten. If you want to live happily ever after, if you want the marriage that works, start with communication. And communication, you start with 30 minutes a day. 30 minutes a day. What do we talk about? Everything. You talk about money, you talk about health, you talk about finance, you talk about the house, you talk about kids, talk about sickness, your old clothes, your new shoes, where you're going on vacation, what you had for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, what were the meetings like today. You communicate 30 minutes a day. Ours is in the morning, 30 minutes, two cups of coffee. Yours might be lunchtime and others might be evening. Maybe you put the kids to bed early and you sit down at the kitchen table. There's no cell phones during this 30 minutes. That thing is off. It's on do not disturb. There's no "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, oh yeah, that's interesting. You put that thing away. There's no TVs going. There's no music playing. You just sit there and you converse. 
You also can take a 30-minute walk. And when you walk, hold hands. Why? Well, so someone doesn't fall down. You spend that time together, <laughs> which is when you're young, it's funny. But when you're 65, no, it's okay. This is <laughs> Lean on me. But you spend that time together. There was a season in my life where I was traveling to India quite a bit and gone a long time. <laughs> And the people that I was with said, is everything okay? I said, man, we're great. They said, really? I said, look, as long as Julie and I get to talk 30 minutes a day, wherever I am in the world, we'll get along just fine. And India is 12 hours away. So every morning at 8 a.m., one of us is starting the day and another one's ending it. But we talk and we communicate and we talk about things. Now that we're old, you say, wow, 43 years, you got to know everything about each other. We talk more now than we ever did. And it's fun stuff and it's easy stuff and it's light stuff and it's death stuff and it's retirement stuff. It's all of that. If you want to be happily married and stay that way, then just start talking 30 minutes a day. You say, well, I'm not much of a talker. Well, that's good if the other person is. But remember, communication it works both ways. I borrowed these from my granddaughter, Elise, her walkie-talkies. Every kid needs a walkie-talkie. They were a lot more exciting before cell phones came along. But, now, but anyway, so you turn these on. Now, I'm going to turn this one on. There it is. And it works beautifully. I can talk on this all day long and it'll do really well. But what has to happen to this one for this to be effective? All right, you're right. So it's not on, so it doesn't work. So we turn that one on. There we go. Now I can talk and you can hear that one going away. And I can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then when I take my finger off, I say over. And then this one starts talking and it starts chattering away. Now, what happens if this one keeps going and going and talking and talking and talking and telling all of this and that? If you were this walkie talkie, what would you do? Talk, 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 talk. Hello? Hello? Are you there? Are you there? Over? No, they checked out. Because communication isn't you doing the lectures or the talking. Communication is giving and receiving. And getting a response back isn't, uh-huh, uh-uh, yeah, fine. How was your day? Fine. Who'd you talk to? Everybody. What was it like? Good. No, the one-word answers don't work. But Julie and I, you know, tell me about every meaningful conversation you had today. I would ask her that. She worked at the hospital. I said, tell me about every meaningful conversation. She said, really? I said, no, but the good ones. Okay. I don't want all the details, but you communicate back and forth. You solve problems. How many of you grew up in a house where there was yelling and screaming and slamming doors and all the ugly stuff that goes with dysfunction? Okay. How do you stop that? You talk to each other 30 minutes a day. Works in marriage, works with roommates, works with sweet mates, works with people at the office. When you don't talk, you builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up. Then you finally have that conversation and both of you are so full, blows up on the other. When you talk 30 minutes a day, look, we're not going to solve this tonight. Let's talk about it again tomorrow or the next day or the next day until we come to an agreement on it. Let me hear you say communication. Talk 30 minutes a day. Talk about everything. I told you that. Oh, this is a freebie. Speak your spouse's love language. Uh, whatever the guy's name was, he wrote a good book years ago. All of us have a love language. We like touch, meaningful touch. We like to have quality time. We like to have things done for us, acts of service. We like words of encouragement. We like gifts. You got to figure out what your spouse, what rings their bell. If it's gifts, great. If it's service, great. If it's touch, great. If it's meaningful time, great. But if your, your spouse loves gifts and you don't ever buy them anything, you're not communicating. If your spouse likes meaningful touch and about all you give is a slap on the butt or a pat on the head and that's it, that's not meaningful touch. Holding, uh, uh, we don't have to edit that. Forget that. It's all, it is what it is. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. 
So, but if it's meaningful touch, you say, well, I'm not a big hugger and toucher. Well, get, become one. Well, I'm not, but that's what their language is. So a hug, a kiss, time, holding hands, sitting in bed and just whatever it is, learn your spouse's love language. If you don't know what it is, then read the book or take the test. It's all over the place and let them tell you, you know, really for Julie, I thought it was gifts because I thought every wife loved gifts. And about the first three years of marriage, I'd buy her things and, oh, thank you. And you buy her jewelry. Oh, thank you. This is beautiful. And then she'd never wear it. You know, I'd get her stuff. Oh, this is really nice. And she'd not do just kind of like, and I, once the book came out, praise the Lord, it did. You know, and I find out, you know, when I would clean the dishwasher, oh, thank you. I'm so, that's so, I, I, I cleaned the dishwasher, but it just meant so much to me because I didn't ask you to. You picked your stuff up. Well, yeah. yeah I discovered, man, I'm going to get through this really cheap in life. <laughs> Forget the diamonds and the furs and the jewelry and all of that. Just vacuum the floor, clean the kitchen, cook the feed, do the little things that say, I love you. That's, and I'll get to that in a second. The main thing is find out what your spouse responds to, whether it's you or not, doesn't matter. If it's their language, you got to learn to speak that. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm accurate, say you are. Yeah. All right. Second thing, commitment. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. Here's what it says. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, that's a command. So we have to do this. If we trust Jesus, read the New Testament, do what it says. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. That's commitment. That's a promise from God to us. If you accepted Jesus, his blood forgives you once and for all. I'm not saved today, not saved tomorrow, saved the next day, not saved the next day. I'm secure once and for all. Lord knows I have messed up. I have dropped the ball on numerous occasions. And yet not once does he say, Robert, that was one sin too many. You're out. But he says, you are saved once and for all until the day of redemption. That's good news. I mean, I got so many sins in my life. A lot of them I knew, but I'm sure there's a whole bunch more that on Judgment Day, Jesus is going to say, oh, by the way, here's all the things you did that you weren't supposed to do. <gasps> I didn't know that, that, that. Yeah, it was all in there. Golly. But I realize every single one of them is going to be forgiven. That's commitment. In marriage, what makes it work is commitment. I know a lot of us today, we're living together. and We're kind of doing that. A lot of relationships today last about as long as the apartment lease does. And we think, well, look, when you get married, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part, that just has a very freeing, liberating thing to it. You say, well, divorce is messy. My parents got divorced. I, I know. I've been through plenty of those and seen them and helped people through them. But when you say, for better or for worse, till death do we part, and you really mean it, it makes a world of difference. We're not getting along. We're going to figure it out. But I am committed to you till death do we part. I love what Billy Graham, the great evangelist wife, she said, was asked one time because he was traveling and gone. And he, she was asked, have you ever thought about divorcing, you know, Billy Graham? And she goes, oh, no, never. Murder, yes, but never divorce. <laughs> Every marriage has its highs and its lows. Even when you talk everything through, there's going to be challenges, but you say, I am with you for better or for worse through sickness and in health. If you've got cancer and chemo and radiation and I'm walking with you through that, I'm not leaving you. If we're newly married, I am in it for the whole long haul. That makes a difference. If you get married, you do it for better or for worse, rich or poor, sickness and in health till death do you part. Stay committed to each other uh, and get rid of the destructive behavior. Look at this second part of this, verse 31. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. How do we stay committed? Well, we, get, we quit doing the stuff that's tearing our marriage down, and we do the stuff that builds it up. I know as you've seen me, known me for a year, you think Robert must be the absolute most perfect husband because look how happy Julie is. <laughs> Believe it or not, along the journey of life, there we've had some tense conversations, no knockdown drag outs, but we've had some really, and she's like a mule. I mean, she digs her foot in and she doesn't budge. Even when she's right, she doesn't budge. <laughs> and when I'm right, but she's never wrong. Anyway, she apologized three times to me in 43 years. Token apologies anyway, but we've had our differences but never it's if it doesn't change or if you don't do this or don't do that, I'm out of here. It's till death do we part. But what does love do? And love is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't remember a wrong suffered. Love does whatever it takes to make things work. Commitment isn't me saying, hey, this is just the way I am. Get used to it. Commitment is saying, I love you. You love me. Tell me. We used to take a test every year on our anniversary, you know, kind of a how am I doing test. And, you know, give me the five things that, that I do that really irritate you. Just five. And, you know, she'd give them and I'd give them to her. And then I'd say, okay, of the five, what is the one thing you want me to work on this year? And she'd boil it down. Okay, I love you. And that's the thing I'll work on. And let me know when I'm ringing the bell and let me know when I'm not. Uh, we had a situation when I was a lot more stressed out than I used to be. And I am now, but I'd get tense and irritable and snappy. And isn't it funny when you work? You won't snap at your boss because they'll fire you. You won't snap at the police officer who pulled you over because he'll take you to jail. You won't snap at the judge because, you know, they'll keep you in jail. But you'll snap at your spouse. When they say something wrong, you just you hit that little hand. You just know. You know when you say it, it's wrong. And they know when you say it, it's wrong. And I got the most persevering, gracious wife. And she would put up my snappiness and irritability and just, and it would be days, days would turn into weeks, weeks would turn into a month. And then sooner or later, it's kind of like putting garbage in your bag, you know, one more leaf and it'd blow up. But I mean, I'd say something or snap and she'd just ignite. I said, Whoa, where's this coming from? She said, it's coming from six weeks of you being like this. And I'm really getting kind of tired of it. I said, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, because I know you're stressed and I know you're irritable. I said, look, don't put up with me. <laughs> don't let me go five or six weeks being snappy. If I snap the first day, you tell me before it's bedtime and I will try to change it. But my goodness, do not put up with this crap any for six weeks. She goes, okay, 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 okay. Next time I'd snap, there it is. There what is? You're snapping. Oh, sorry. It's so much better dealing with it the first day than it is six weeks later. I mean, the little rule response, oh, I love her when I mess up one time and I get corrected. I really don't love her as much when I mess up for six weeks and it comes out. Learn a lesson, commitment. I'm going to do the right things on a regular basis for the rest of my life as quick as I can. Are you hearing me on this? Commitment doesn't say tolerate me and my imperfections. Commitment says, tell me what I need to work on and improve and I will do the best and I will tell you and you will do the best. It's give and take and we work both ways. Uh, last part of commitment, copy good role models. Whether it's Abraham and Sarah, Mary and Joseph, Aquila and Priscilla, your mom and dad, your aunt and uncle, your grandparents, somebody, find one or two couples in your circle of life that have lived right and done things right and just say, hey, can we buy you lunch? 
Tell us, you know, what are the highs and the lows of your life? You got to get good role models. I know a lot of us grow up with bad examples and we see that and we think, well, because I see it, I have to do it. No, Jesus stops the chain. He breaks it. He says, look, you're a new person in Christ. The old things are passed away. All things are made new. Find good role models. Like who? Well, you got a bunch of us sitting around here. Uh, Julie and I, we were laughing the other day at a table. You know, when we were young, newly married, we'd go out to eat and we'd see happy older couples and they'd be laughing and just having a good time. And we'd look and think, man, what it would be like to be that, you know, married for 25 years, 30 years, 35. And we just admired them and thought someday. And the other day we're in the restaurant, we're noticing the young couples and the waiters and waitresses they are cutting up with us. And we realize we're the old couple. We're, we're them. We're, we're there. We're 43 years into it. You know, we got gray hair and they, they joke, you know, and say, oh, you know, and I got a little patch of gray back there. By the way, those of you that watch, you always say, does Robert dye his hair? Obviously not. It's just good genetics. But it shocked me that, wow, we're the, we're the old folks. So find people like us or like your parents or your grandparents or somebody. Read somebody's books. Read them. You'll find out we all deal with the same issues the same way, but you deal with them correctly. Commitment. Talk all the time. Stay married no matter what. And work through the issues together. Get help if you need help and work at it together. By the way, on the walkie-talkies, remember, both of them had to work. You say, well, my spouse doesn't want anything to do with me or whatever. You got you to have two. It doesn't work with just one walkie-talkie. So make sure you're both in it together. And the third idea, kindness. Same thing on verse uh, 31. These are the bad things. Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Those are little bullet points that God gives us that you can spread out into all kinds of stuff. But he says, get rid of that. And then he says, put on this stuff. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I'm grateful to be married to a forgiving wife. She's grateful to be married to a forgiving husband. Both of us have done things that irritated the other. We both sinned against each other, but we both said, I forgive you. And I ask forgiveness. She asks forgiveness. We give it. We don't hold grudges. We don't say, well, this is the fourth time you've done this in 17 years. Uh, we kind of, every day is a new day. The old things are passed away. All things are made new. It's all about kindness and doing the right things. It's the little things that say, I love you. Uh, woe to you if you don't buy your spouse flowers or cards or gifts on birthdays, Father's Days, Mother's Days, anniversaries. But great are you when you're just walking out of the grocery store and you saw some pretty flowers and you grab them and you check out and you bring them home to your wife. What are these for? These are because you're a wonderful wife. <gasps> oh. Oh, I mean, it is a little flower. $5 flowers goes a long way. Not an anniversary, not anything else. When the people on the side of the road selling roses, you, know, you buy a few and you take them home. What are these for? Just because I love you. What are these for? It's a golf, golf balls. What, what's these for? Where are you playing golf? Don't you like Pro V ones? Yeah, but they're not cheap. No, but you're worth every dollar I paid to get them. <laughs> Fishing lures. I don't know what your hobby or whatever it is, but love, you know, naturally you do the right thing at the right time when you're supposed to, you know, Valentine's, Christmas, all of that. But how do you have a happier marriage? You do those little things that say, I love you when they're not expected. The kind word, the text, how's your day going? Love you on your way home, coming home. What do I need? Do you need me to stop by the store? It's those little things all along the journey that say, I love you. That is what gets you to 43, 50, 60, 75 years. 
I wish I could tell you there's some magic book to read. Well, there is a magic book to read. It's called Marriage. <laughs> and it has two buzzards on the front. <laughs> so anyway, it'll, it'll have our pictures on there next time. But look, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. I told you at the beginning, you trust Jesus, read the New Testament, and do what it says. What does it say? It says, watch your words. Make sure the words that come out of your mouth are words of encouragement that build your spouse up. It says, stay committed to each other. If what you're doing is destroying the marriage, duh, stop doing it. Uh, when I had back surgery and it was hurting, I asked my doc, well, hey, you know, it hurts when I do this. And he said, what they all say, well, then don't do that. Okay. Oh, gee, you're so brilliant. I paid you $10,000 to tell me that. Same with marriage. If what you say or do or act or don't do whatever is messing your marriage up, duh, change it. Today, I will change this. We haven't been talking. Today, we're going to talk 30 minutes a day. Today, I'm going to make sure that everything I say to my wife or my husband or my children or anybody else for that matter is going to be a word of encouragement that builds them up. There's enough people tearing us down. Our job is to build them up. Secrets to marriage, communication, absolute number one. Commitment, absolute number two. Kindness, do the little things. And by the way, kindness is something you do not something you think about. God bless me this morning. I was scrolling through Facebook, a dear old friend of mine, uh, Mike Morris and his wife, Sharon. Mike's was military air force. He was in charge of cleaning up the nuclear mess all over the place. And he's retired. I hadn't seen him in a while, but his wife posted something a couple of days ago. And he's one of my best teachers at the church I was at. Mike has a kidney disease that he got, genetic thing. It's gotten a little worse, a little worse, and now it's really bad. And, it's, and he's you know, a little younger than me. And she says, uh, we've been praying for a miracle and praying for a donor, and we found one. Ooh, yeah. And Sharon said, it's me. She said, I got checked, and my kidney matches his. So uh, on March the 17th, next week, she said, I will be giving him one of my kidneys. See, that's love right there. That's love. When you communicate, when you stay together, and when, hey, you need a kidney. And like Julie said, man, I'd give you my kidney. I said, well, you can have both of mine. I'll, if you're dying, I'll give you my heart. I'll go on to heaven. You stay alive and watch the grandkids grow up. But that's love. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Greater love is no, my, no man than this, Jesus said, than you lay down your life for your friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever trusts in him will not perish but has everlasting life. Jesus isn't just about getting you to heaven. If he was, he would have given you the good news on a business card. But he's about giving you the instructions for right living in finance, in health, in marriage, and everything else. All it is is there. You can read a book that thick or you can read four little verses. If you do what those say, I promise you, it'll work. He said, we don't know how bad our marriage is. No, I've seen some really bad ones that turned around because they trusted Jesus, they read the New Testament, and they put it into practice, did what it said. It really does work. If it didn't work, it wouldn't be around 2,000 years later. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. It does set us free. Thank you for opening my eyes to it at 19 and giving me enough faith to practice it a little bit at a time as I grew into it. Pray for every soul here and those that are online that in the area of marriage, Father, that, that you know, you didn't write chapters on it. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is a pretty good love chapter and 1 Corinthians 7. But I mean, for the most part, you just told the world how to live, how to treat each other. And as we do that, 
our relationships improve, our roommates get better, our sweet mates get better, our marriages get stronger, our work relations change. It's not complicated. Thank you for making it simple. Help us to take it by faith. And Lord, this morning, it's not an accident that everybody that's here is here for a reason. And what they've heard is to trust you and to, to speak well of each other and to talk to each other in marriage, to stay committed and to do the little things that say, I love you, the kindnesses along the journey of life. Lord, for those that aren't Christians and they're thinking about it, if any of you have made that decision today and thinking, well, if a guy like Robert can turn it around because of Jesus, maybe I can too. If you're wondering how you do that, it's not a 13-week Bible study, nothing wrong with those. It's not the ground shaking or the lights flashing. It's an act of faith. You just ask Jesus to forgive your sins, to come into your life and to fill you with your, his spirit and to open his word to you. If that's something you want to do today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation, just like the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me. That was his day. Here's my prayer of salvation. If you've never prayed this before and you want Jesus to be Lord of your life today, just like I did in my dorm room years ago, and you can do it today. Pray this out loud with me. Believers in the room, those of us online, and anybody who's ready to trust Jesus, here's how you do it. Let's say this together. Lord Jesus, today I trust you. I accept your forgiveness for all my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me from your word and give me the faith to live for you for this day on. Thank you for my salvation. And Father, I pray that you would give these people peace, those that are already Christians, that they know that and they learn something new today. Those that are new to Christianity, uh, I pray for them and I'll give you a word of encouragement in a moment. But Lord, let them know their sins are forgiven once and for all. I mean, your word says you sealed us until the day of our salvation, the day of redemption. So it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done, it is forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that instructs us. Now let us put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things. If you're a new Christian today, uh, there's a little record on some of the seats around there. And if you'll just fill that out, just say, hey, I'm a new Christian. If you're an old Christian, but maybe you're recommitting your life, check that. We, we don't send mail out or we don't put you on any mail list. It's just letting us know. And also, I could tell people, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life today or recently and you haven't told anybody, tell somebody. Text them. Write them. Send them a note. Say, hey, I know you've been praying for me and this is the day it became real to me. It'll make a difference in your world. And then uh, as I was praying, the Lord said to tell you this. When I became a Christian, it was on a Sunday, and I, I was a mess. I was a troublemaker in school. I was a fighter. I was a thief. And the Lord forgave it all on Sunday. And it was a really, really good day in my life. And then I went to school on Monday, and I thought I was the most wicked, vile, reprobate person that ever walked the earth. You said, well, you, you became a Christian on Sunday. Yeah, but it's, you know, when you live your life without glasses, you just think everything's fuzzy and not clear. And then you become a Christian. It's like putting glasses on. And it's like I put these glasses on. I realized, gosh, my little smart aleck attitude in class, all that stuff was sin. So I've had more people say, golly, I feel worse now than before I became a Christian. That means the spirit of God is in your life. And he opens your eyes and you say, whoop, need to work on that or that. That's good. That's good. That's good. Need to fix that and that. Trust Jesus. Read the New Testament. And as God makes it, jumps off the page to you. And you say, Lord, help me work on that today. I stopped the fighting. I stopped the stealing. I stopped being the pain that every teacher prayed for the next year's class to come along. 
Uh, if God can change me, he can change you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It means more than you know to have you with us. And to all of you who partner with us and support the mission of our church, thank you. We cannot be the church without you. Go ahead and click the link in the description to partner with us now, or you can visit thegrovefc.com forward slash partner. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to like and subscribe. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. This is how the gospel goes forward. Thanks again for being here today. God bless you.